And there's the starting pistol for another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Dirk Christensen with you here. We open up the roundtable with information to let you know what you can expect over the course of your Midday program for today. Over to Kearney we go, and uh, that's the Cattleman's Classic, of course. Susan Littlefield is standing by. Well, I tell you, it is a busy day here at the Cattleman's Classic, and we have been over at the show ring announcing daily clay and ice and 8.30 this morning, some gorgeous animals have been coming through the show ring, and starting at 12.30 with the Angus, they'll be hitting the cell ring. So if you're looking for some cattle, today's a great day to come out and check it out. But drive safe um, as you head here. As you know, there's inclement weather between here and everywhere, so get here safe. Speaking of weather, uh, coming up at uh, 12.19, I've got Don Rose on the air with me with the U.S. Commodities. He called me yesterday from Paraguay. And he's going to give us the down and dirty on the dirt and how dry it really is in Argentina. And it really is as dry as they are talking about. 1245, Staley caught up with Senator Deb Fisher here yesterday. She held a private roundtable with ag producers. It was one of those meetings where uh, media wasn't allowed to be there. And uh, afterwards, she caught up with Staley and they talked about the roundtable and what was discussed and the effects of agriculture. And we all know it is SFA week, and I am because the SFA and so many other folks are as well. Bryce gets more at 117 talking with the governor as he proclaims it SFA week in Nebraska. All right. Big doings everywhere you go, and what a big show. It just kind of comes in waves over at the Cattleman's Classic, doesn't it? It does. It'll get quiet here in a little bit. They're just finishing up the Galvez show right now, and then they'll start prepping for the first sale at 1.30, and, or 12.30, excuse me, today. Then it gets loud and crazy as folks are bidding and mm-hmm. buying some great cattle. All right, Susan, thanks very much. We'll listen with interest. And uh, Jason Jorgensen has sports today. Got baseball action going on with the Beavers. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Huskers in Arizona again on the heels of going 3-1 and one last week. Tough assignment this afternoon as they will take on second-ranked Oregon State. Of course, they were a... Uh, uh, one of the teams that appeared in last year's College World Series in Omaha. And the Huskers have played them routinely in the past as part of this Big Ten Pac-12 challenge. So far, Coach Darren Erste has been pretty pleased with how the Huskers have performed in the first four games. We'll touch on that. Also, a big basketball game tonight in Lincoln for Lady Huskers as they will take on Penn State. Of course, the Huskers' big turnaround this year. Twelve wins more than they had a season ago. And uh, they'll try to send their seniors out in a good way against Penn State. Nebraska's decent chance to make the NCAA tournament, but as we all know, every win helps. <laughs> and and until you see yourself yeah. selected, you know, for the selection show, uh, you never know. So also weather permitting, lots of sub district basketball on tap tonight. But I see there have been a few of those uh, sub district games already have been changed uh, due to the slick conditions. All right. Well, we'll keep a close eye on all of that. Bob Brogan is in with business. U.S. stocks broadly higher in midday trading on Wall Street. Uh, the Dow Industrials climbed 335 points to 25,134. Right now they're up by 340. Also uh, indicative uh, as far as the housing market is concerned, long-term, long-term U.S. mortgage rates have crept a little bit higher. And a SpaceX rocket carrying a Spanish satellite is blasted off from Vandenberg Air Force Base into the uh, wild blue, wild blue yonder. <laughs> I'll tell you what; they seem like they got something going on about every couple of days anymore. Yeah, it's all coming up for you today on midday. 
Now your ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer, and Paul Perkins is in here. Looks like conditions so far have held pretty well. Exactly. The precipitation continues to increase in coverage across the area in the way of some snow and probably some freezing drizzle. Temperature is not moving a whole lot right now. Susan was saying from the Cattlemen's Classic that uh, they had uh, what looked like liquid precipitation there, but we've got temperatures down there in those low 20s, so we probably ought to be aware that on those bridges and overpasses could be a little problem. Definitely, because temperatures currently in the low 20s, and they haven't moved a whole lot since this morning. Not expected to move a whole lot for today as we see those temperatures warm just slightly. Waves of precipitation moving through right now. We do have some snow from Hyannis to Valentine, Ainsworth, and O'Neill. Another batch of snow from about Ogallala to North Platte to right near the Dawson County-Lincoln County line. It points to the north there into northern Lincoln County and up towards Arthur. Also, maybe a little bit of light snow from about Kozad down to around McCook and Norton. This moisture continuing to look to the northeast as the afternoon goes on. That wintry precipitation, mainly in the form of light snow and freezing drizzle, arriving in waves today as low pressure tracks to the east. Snow accumulation is not going to be much, maybe an inch or two. Ice accumulations will range from a light glaze to a tenth of an inch, causing some slick problems and, of course, driving problems. That winter weather coming to an end from west to east this evening as that area of low pressure departs. Tomorrow we're going to see a break in the weather ahead of the main area of low pressure that's edging into the Rockies. Temperatures tomorrow milder with a little more sunshine. Snow and freezing drizzle once again likely tomorrow night into Saturday. This looks like a little more... Uh, more organized system as this main load tracks onto the plains. A good amount of moisture available with that system. Accumulations of both snow and ice expected. Most uh, snow accumulations should total about one to four inches and we do have some maps showing what you could see for ice and snow accumulations on our KRBN Facebook page. We'll be in between systems as the weather quiets down with seasonal temperatures for Sunday into Tuesday but another area of low pressure expected to lift out of the southwest for more chances of wintry weather and colder temperatures during the midweek next week. The long-term forecast indicates that continuation of near-normal to slightly colder than normal temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas. Tuesday through the first seven days of March, our precipitation forecast shows a somewhat active period of near-normal to slightly above-normal precipitation for Nebraska and Kansas Tuesday into the 7th. Our latest drought monitor shows no changes. 69% of Nebraska drought-free. It continues to be abnormally dry south of the Platte River in south-central and southeast Nebraska. Also the extreme northwest and north-central and the southern panhandle. All of Kansas continues to experience dryness issues. That northern third of Kansas abnormally dry to a moderate drought. Most areas south of I-70 in Kansas in severe to extreme drought. Weather factors affecting market trade include dry weather stressing the crops in Argentina, soybean harvest being disrupted by rain in central Brazil, and limited rain for wheat across the southern plains. Heavy precipitation will linger into the weekend from eastern Texas into the Ohio Valley that will prolong their flooding threat. From Texas into the upper Great Lakes, there will be wintry weather with freezing rain possible and weekend snow from the central plains into the upper Midwest. Most wheat areas of the Southern Plains will miss most of the rain this week that's hitting the South Central and Southeast. A quarter to a half inch of melted precipitation is possible from northern Kansas into Nebraska and northeast Colorado tomorrow and Saturday. No significant cold weather will add more stress to the dry conditions. In Argentina, no significant rain on the horizon the next six to seven days in their major corn and soybean areas. That's where corn and soybeans are stressed from all the dryness and heat and Crop losses are occurring. 
Soybean harvest and second crop corn planting in central Brazil continue to experience some rain-related disruptions. The weather remains favorable in the south where soybeans are filling and maturing, and there is some early harvest underway. At 12.19, of course, we're going to be checking in to find out a little bit more about those very dry conditions down at this one, specifically from Paraguay. We'll be getting that report, so stand by for that and how all that dryness in the Americas is going to be affecting the uh, the crops that are coming up. Uh, and what you're saying, Paul, is that uh, what we can expect for today is probably uh, just a, a taste of what's to come. Huh? Exactly, yeah. Probably a little bit more over the weekend, and we did have, I forgot to mention this, that they've had about two inches of snowfall in the Mullen area from the system moving through. So don't be surprised if you do see about an inch or two of fluffy snow in your area. And, of course, maybe a little ice mixed in as it it comes down as liquid and starts uh, freezing on those surfaces. Ag Weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer, and when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. being described as a year of the tractor. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The Smithsonian's National Museum of American History will mark 2018 as the year of the tractor with two new displays and the past, present, and future agriculture. The display that is open at the Smithsonian is featuring a green, yellow, and red 1918 Waterloo Boy tractor. Beyond view at the entrance to the American Enterprise beginning this week, marking the 100th anniversary of the Deere & Company entries into the tractor market with the acquisition of the Waterloo Gasoline Engine Company in 1918. So if you're headed out to Washington, D.C., check it out. About 350 people attended the Colorado Governor's Forum on Colorado Agriculture in Denver on Wednesday. The governor gave the keynote speech to the state of agriculture in Colorado during the speech addressing the Colorado Water Plan and the Blueprint Guide for Water Use in Colorado. Also, I think, made smart decisions on water. It's the third year of the Colorado Water Plan. It's a living document. I'm not saying it's all perfect, but we have used it as a lever point to repeat again and again that having a sustainable source of food and the supporting water management is an essential part of the brand of Colorado. It's what attracts people to entrepreneurs to come here, it attracts tourists to come here. And I think having that sustainable source of food, no matter what happens around the world, is going to be incredibly valuable. And the governor did say that Colorado agriculture must be open to challenges. And I understand that people don't want to get in and even use the words uh, global warming or climate change. But we have to look at the facts as we see them, and just based on those facts, be prepared to evolve our actions. This last October to December was the warmest period in all 123 years that the Colorado Climate Center has kept records for that period of time. We're looking at snowpack levels. You know, the Arkansas Basin is about 63 percent. The southwestern basin is under 50 percent. I think we've got to look at, at facing these, you know, just without trying to cast blame or or make winners or losers, we have to figure out how we're going to be able to be more nimble in responding to changes uh, in our water supply. The forum theme was sustainability in agriculture. Iowa Republicans took a strike to Senator Ted Cruz of Texas this week, saying his hold on the nomination of Iowa's Bill Northey to the Department of Agriculture will harm his political standing. As Cruz continued his attack on the renewable fuel standard Wednesday, speaking to the Philadelphia Energy Solutions so-called anti-ethanol rally, the Iowa Republican Party warned Cruz that continued a hold of Northey would risk him losing political support from Iowa. 
Cruz won the Iowa caucus during the 2016 presidential campaign. Iowa GOP Chairman Jeff Kaufman said that Cruz has entertained his political position for far too long, and it's becoming increasingly harmful to both Iowans and the agricultural industry at large. Northey, the Iowa Agricultural Secretary, is staring down a March 16th deadline to either file for re-election for his state post or remain in limbo on Capitol Hill. As the dairy industry evolves, companies across the U.S. are looking to capitalize on increasing milk production through international joint ventures. A new report from CoBank says that while the U.S. was heavily invested in milk production, Europe and other regions have faced production constraints, focusing their efforts on the investment of technology in the processing sector. And in 2017, many U.S. dairy companies and international partners collaborated to capitalize on those strengths. CoBank says many cooperatives are looking at the available capital to take on new and costly processing facilities, noting the cheese manufacturing plant that costs between $300 and $500 million. Let's look to your news. I'm Susan Littlefield at the Cattleman's Classic on the Rural Radio Network. From the Cattleman's Classic in Kearney, I'm Susan Littlefield. And joining us on the phone line for a special Fontenelle final bell is Don Rose. Of course, Don is with U.S. Commodities. Hasn't been on U.S. soil in a while. That's why I'm so excited to get this opportunity to talk to you, Don, because you've been to Central America, Argentina, Chile, and now you're in Paraguay. Yeah, you know, Susan, it really is. You know, I'm glad to be with you here this afternoon. But uh, exactly, I'm in uh, Paraguay right now. at the country between Argentina and uh, Brazil. Brazil to the north, Argentina to the south. And uh, Paraguay is very much like Iowa. It's uh, agriculture and more agriculture. But, you know, I think when you look at it, I am in the middle of what the, uh, the, the conversation is on the grain market, and that's Argentina. And Argentina is about two-thirds of the area, I would say, is in need of some rain. And, you know, the people on the ground uh, think it's one of the, the worst uh, dry conditions that they've had in 38 years. Now, you know, that kind of gets overblown, but it is... It is dry. It is uh, warm. It cools down every so often, but uh, the crop is definitely in retreat. And the local newspapers, you know how it is, Susan, but they talk in terms of soybeans moving to 11 to $12. And so uh, producers uh, right now are really, they have hands in their pocket waiting for a weather pattern change, but sitting tight right now. Uh, looking at what you've seen and as you've had the opportunity, Don, to, to speak to some of these producers, is there any sort of optimism? Well, you know, two things. One, you know, we don't think of it so much in the uh, United States, but the Argentina farmer also deals with a lot of inflation, a lot of fluctuation in the currency. So uh, a lot of producers will use their grain very much like a currency. So they're not in a hurry to sell grain unless they need to pay some bills. They don't really want to put the uh, money in the bank if they have excess. They would rather have it in the bin. And so that is very much different. But I tell you, when you look at the per, uh, the uh, overall uh, agricultural practices, they're very much like we have in the United States. In fact, you would say they're very similar, but uh, it is dry conditions. It's uh, The crop is in retreat. The producers are optimistic uh, that uh, of higher prices to come. But at the same time, Susan, I would say almost to the farmer, they're waiting for some kind of a sign for a weather pattern change, and I think they'll be aggressive sellers. They're sitting on old crop supplies and new crop, and the basis levels continue to tighten. Uh, their corn prices in uh, Argentina are higher than they are in uh, in the United States. You know, we haven't heard a lot about old crop coming out of Argentina. How much have you heard as, as you've been there? 
is sitting around at this point? Well, and I tell you, that's a good question. I think that's really the great uh, question mark because uh, Argentina is the largest soybean meal exporter in the world. And so right now, uh, the producer is uh, sitting uh, on uh, supplies. I think they're probably a little bit bigger than what the government is trying to uh, forecast just because the producers are kind of tight-fisted, tight uh, holders and not great reporters to the government as far as the supplies that they have. So uh, I think it's uh, it's a situation where, uh, you know, the supplies will probably lighten up once the weather pattern changes. But the local weather forecasters, Susan, really don't have a weather pattern change uh, during the month of uh, March. So by then we're going to be pretty far along in the growing season. So, um, you know, we'll keep your eye on the sky is what I would say. Thanks so much, Don. Don Rose joining us with U.S. Commodities as he talks to us from Paraguay. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Kirk. Well, the Husker baseball team is looking for another good week in Arizona. Of course, last week they started off their season by winning three out of four in the Valley of the Sun. And overall, head coach Darren Erstad has seen some good things from his club. Concerned about how we're playing. You know, we pounded the zone, which was great outside of the end of that Washington State game. Uh, defensively, we, we, we played like we expected to play. I just loved our aggressiveness on the base pass, our dirt ball reads. I mean, they obviously have been paying attention in practice and, and took it into the game. And at the play, like I said, you know, outside of our awful bunting in situations and runner at second and nobody out execution and getting a guy over, uh, you know, we put ourselves in position to score some runs. This weekend, you was part of the Big Ten Pac-12 Challenge. Today, the Huskers open things up against second-ranked Oregon State. Of course, they qualified for last year's College World Series. Today's game starts at 2 Central. The Husker women's basketball team looks to close out the regular season home schedule with a win against Penn State. Now Nebraska is shooting for its 11th Big Ten victory of the season. That would secure a top four seed in next week's Big Ten tournament. Nebraska could also lock up its 17th 20-win season in school history. Huge turnaround from last year in which they went just 7-22. and Tonight's game starts at 7 in Lincoln. The GPAC men's and women's semifinals are set after quarterfinal action last night. Now, the semifinals are set for this Saturday. It'll be Dakota Wesleyan at top-seeded Morningside and Doan who pulled off a big upset last night. They're at third-seeded Northwestern. On the women's side of things, top-seeded Concordia will host Morningside at three, and then it's Dakota Wesleyan at Northwestern. They'll play that one at two. U.S. women's hockey team ended Canada's run of Olympic gold medals, but it took a shootout to do it. Canada had won the previous four gold medal games since the United States took the gold in 1998. The U.S. was able to win it last night 3-2. American David Wise has successfully defended his gold medal in the men's halfpipe, edging out teammate Alex Ferreira. Wise wiped out on his first two runs but came back on his third and final run to post a score of 97.2. The United States will play Sweden for the gold medal in men's curling after knocking out Canada 5-3 in a tenth semifinal. And weather permitting, the sub-district basketball action is expected to continue across the state of Nebraska tonight. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. MKRVM Sports of Midday brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family. 
Dave Schroeder. Wintry precipitation tonight with chance of light freezing drizzle, light freezing rain, and a slight chance of snow over most of the state with a slight chance of snow through the night in central Nebraska. I'm Dave Schroeder. A special prosecutor has filed charges against a former Nebraska state trooper at the center of a storm that rocked the state patrol. Special Prosecutor Joe Stecker charged Tim Flick with two misdemeanors, motor vehicle homicide and making a false statement under oath, as well as careless driving, an infraction. The charges stem from Flick's role in the 2016 high-speed chase of an intoxicated motorist in Sheridan County. Dash cam video features Flick saying he used a tactical vehicle intervention, a move that's meant to bump a fleeing vehicle in order to get it to safely spin out. Antoine Ledoux was killed in the crash. Flick will be arraigned in Sheridan County Court on March 8th. He was fired from the patrol in December for violating internal policy. 60 mule deer in southwest Nebraska are now carrying GPS monitoring devices for a new research study designed to aid in the management of mule deer population. A crew of students and faculty from the School of Natural Resources at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, along with Nebraska Game and Parks Commission staff, equipped the deer with monitoring devices after a helicopter capture crew caught them in Hayes, Frontier, Red Willow, and Furnace counties. The GPS devices will allow for remote monitoring on the survival rates and mortality factors, as well as the home range and the movements of the deer in southwest Nebraska. Police records show the father and stepmother of a missing five-year-old Wichita, Kansas boy had a sometimes violent relationship. Police provided several incident reports about the couple after announcing that the 26-year-old stepmother had been arrested on suspicion of endangering the boy and another child. The woman reported the boy missing on Saturday. She hasn't been formally charged. A federal appeals court says Kansas can't cut Medicaid funds to a Planned Parenthood affiliate over videos anti-abortion activists secretly recorded in 2015. The 10th Circuit Court of Appeals decision leaves in place a lower court's preliminary injunction that blocked Kansas from ending the contract. It's the fifth of six circuits to uphold the rights of patients to receive health care from their preferred qualified provider. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Download it free in the App Store or Google Play. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. I visit today here at the Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic, making a stop through at Senator Deb Fisher. And you've been in Nebraska all week here, Senator Fisher. And uh, just talk to us about what you're doing here. I know you had... I'm catching up with you here at an ag roundtable you just got out of but just talk to us about what you're doing in nebraska this week well we're just out and about you know listening to nebraskans and visiting with nebraskans about the issues that they're concerned about we did just have a roundtable here in Kearney today we had one a couple days ago in nebraska city and we're focusing on ag roundtables right now because i am a new member of the ag committee we are uh, drafting a new farm bill, which should be out, I, I hope, this year that we're able to get it done. And so as a new member of that committee, I'm, uh, I have a seat at the table. 
and I'm going to be very active in fighting for things to put in the farm bill that Nebraska producers want in that bill. So what I hear about, of course, is crop insurance being a top priority to make sure that uh, those protections are available, that program is available for ag producers. Uh, People are also talking about trade promotion, uh, research, the EQIP program, um, all sorts of of different things. We even included uh, trade, talking about the importance of NAFTA. We talk about broadband deployment, which is extremely important for agriculture so that we can move into the 21st century and have our children, our grandchildren, come back to our places and be able to take advantage of those technologies that are out there. So it's been um, some great discussions to have with people who are on the ground and work with these issues every single day. Well, I'm... Something I find unique about Nebraska, as you're well aware, when we talk about agriculture, there's it's so much variety, you know, from east to west, north to south, with cattle, with corn, all of our crops, uh, wheat, our sugar beet growers out in the panhandle. So really there's a lot for you to cover with these roundtables when we talk about the Farm Bill. Oh, exactly. You know, and we've had representation from, as you said, beef and dairy, We've had corn producers, soybean, dry edible beans, uh, Farm Bureau cattlemen, um, gosh, just just a great variety from uh, farm services, uh, just everything out there. We talk about the economy, uh, forecasts for the future economy that we're looking at, which aren't too bright uh, right now. But, uh, you know, we're, we're in uh, agriculture for not just a business, for, but for a lifestyle here too and we we will weather these cycles and we'll come out stronger so it's it's good to uh, hear the optimism uh, not just the concerns that are out there but also the optimism that we have here in Nebraska. That certainly does have to be encouraging for you now you mentioned of course your your seat at the table on the Ag Committee uh, just last week also announced the chairman for the Livestock Subcommittee talk about that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, I, I, uh, I was excited to, um, to get that subcommittee chairmanship. On Armed Services Committee, I chair a subcommittee on strategic forces. On the Commerce Subcommittee, uh, or committee, I chair a subcommittee on uh, surface transportation. So to be able to get another subcommittee chair and to be a livestock chair, uh, as a rancher and to have the background, the understanding, uh, the network, around the state of Nebraska to address these issues. Uh, I, I plan to be active and be fighting for uh, Nebraska interests. Anything specifically in that subcommittee that's on the radar, things that you're looking at? Well, you know, when you're talking about livestock and, and the farm bill, of course, there's conservation practices that are out there, uh, the disaster relief programs, uh, the research that happens here in the state. Those are all important. And, and the top priority, I think, for livestock producers is, is looking at trade and to be able to have uh, trade promotion, market promotion in the farm bill, but also trade overall. And uh, I've worked with a number of other senators. There's a group of six of us who have met with President Trump, uh, expressed to him our concerns uh, about uh, possible withdrawal from NAFTA. Uh, the NAFTA agreement is good for ag producers in this state. 
and that makes it good for the state of Nebraska. Agriculture is the economic engine of the state of Nebraska, and we need to uh, have these good markets available to us. Shifting away just a bit from agriculture, you are in the state of Nebraska touring not just ag-related businesses or not just having agricultural-related conversations. What else have you been up to this week? Well, it's been a busy week. We started off uh, in Nebraska City, and I got to tour a career academy that Nebraska Public Schools has. And that was just fascinating to see how the the school board, the administration, the teachers, the students, the community have come together. They they uh, remodeled a grocery store that was empty in their community and have this career academy where they focus on uh, shop programs, construction building, but also technology. So you have a number of students in there. Gosh, they do all sorts of, of amazing things from writing uh, programming for computers to designing games. Uh, So this is just another great example of innovation that takes place uh, everywhere in the state of Nebraska. So to be able to see that was fun. I addressed the state chamber, um, their legislative council yesterday, uh, to be able to visit with uh, business people, those who represent business people, and and hear um, some of their ideas, but also their excitement over um, the optimism that's out there with tax reform that we passed. Thank you so much, Senator Deb Fisher, touring Nebraska this week, making a pit stop here in Kearney for an ag roundtable right next to the Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. Back on the Rural Radio Network as we get a review of the livestock futures trade from Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, another day of uh, opposites. Uh, cattle lower and uh, hogs higher. And the cattle uh, came under some pressure once again. And it, it's really uh, from the fact that the uh, trade uh, yesterday was lower and uh, it caught everybody kind of by surprise. And uh, we had some follow through today. Uh, still leaving the uh, nearby February at a premium to that trade, but uh, still. Uh, under pretty severe pressure, uh, where it was over a dollar lower in that February contract, and basically, other than that, was a lot of bear spreading, of buying the back and selling the front in the live cattle. In the feeders, we were just lower all the way across. Uh, is uh, really taking a defensive stance. Now we do have a cattle on feed report uh, tomorrow at two o'clock. We have cold storage today at two o'clock. So a couple of reports to uh, kind of give us maybe uh, some consolidation. We'll see. Uh, cutouts were just a little bit higher today at noon, still pretty light on the box trade. Over in the hogs, they were the champions again, triple-digit gains through uh, December. Uh, and uh, cash basically just about steady. Cutouts were back up a little bit, and... Uh, We've now gone from a discount to a premium uh, to the index in the uh, hogs. So uh, very uh, much a champion uh, move in the hogs. Thanks, Joe. You can reach Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. The 8. 
The distinctive national blue corduroy jackets went to the Capitol yesterday. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. Standing with FFA members and supporters, Governor Pete Ricketts signed a proclamation declaring FFA Week in Nebraska. Their proclamation comes as 600,000-plus FFA members celebrate the National FFA Week across the country. The governor was standing with FFA members and supporters as he explained the importance of the Youth Agriculture Organization. The Future Farmers of America is an organization that helps train our next generation of leaders for agriculture. And here in Nebraska, that's incredibly important. Agriculture is the heart and soul of what we do. It's the largest part of our economy, over 20%, and creates one in four jobs back here in Nebraska. So it is an important that we continue to develop the leaders that are going to innovate in the agriculture industry. The governor took the opportunity to highlight the growth that Nebraska FFA has seen in recent years. FFA in Nebraska is alive and well and growing. We have never had the, uh, the, the participation we've had or the number of chapters. We keep seeing it grow. We've got over 8,500 people that are involved in FFA and 185 chapters. And it's because of the great work that these young people are doing that we continue to have the best place in the world for agriculture right here in Nebraska. It's something that we want to continue to make sure that we emphasize that we're developing our leaders and the experiences that they get in FFA are part of what will help them be those leaders in the community. And we're not talking about just in agriculture. The young people that go through FFA will go on to be the leaders who then participate in our school boards, who are part of our co-ops, who are getting involved in our communities on county boards, are the people who are working in their churches and with their schools. These are the leaders of tomorrow, and these are the people who will be taking over for their parents in making sure we continue to have strong rural communities. Many FFA members don't necessarily come from rural backgrounds, though. Jake Judge, Nebraska FFA state president, explains that urban FFA chapters are growing as well. We're having programs pop up across the state of Nebraska, uh, investing in those urban areas. A lot of, you know, you have a lot of rural programs that have have uh, chapters, and we're really diving into getting more chapters in the urban areas. We have uh, chapters popping up in North Platte uh, next year, so to give students in that uh, more of an urban area the opportunity to be passionate about agriculture. As the organization celebrates this week, Judge says it's an important time to reflect on the mission at hand. To people who who have not zipped up their own blue jackets, it is hard to convey to you how impactful a jacket may be. This jacket and this organization has a positive impact daily on the lives of over 8,500 Nebraska students and their futures. FFA helps develop students through premier leadership, personal growth, and career success. Leadership is demanded by business and industry across our state and the country. Without leadership and growth, we will become stagnant. We strive to have a a progressive mindset that ensures a prosperous future for Nebraska. Our organization realizes we are future leaders in the state of Nebraska and afar. We understand the industry we are so passionate about is the driving force of Nebraska's economy. As the event drew to a conclusion, Judge reminded us a quote from Brenda Shep. It goes like this. My grandfather used to say that once in your life you'll need a doctor, a lawyer, a policeman, and a preacher. But every day, three times a day, you'll need a farmer. From all of us at the Rural Radio Network, we say thank you to the American farmer and the future farmer for producing the safest, most affordable, and highest quality food anywhere in the world. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskit reporting.
Grain markets today saw a resurgence, at least in the winter wheat futures. That kind of pulled up corn slightly. But soybeans end the day a little bit lower. We're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. We have a lot of factors in this market uh, shaping today, wasn't uh, wasn't there? Yeah, it's, you know, tomorrow I think will be a little more of a market moving data day. We'll get uh, the U.S. export reports. I think those are more short-term going to move price. But, uh, you know, the, the Ag Forum, obviously the news of the day, getting... I don't think any big surprise unless you're a cotton producer, um, you know, acreage pretty much right where it was a year ago, which makes sense considering prices are right where they were a year ago. Overall, though, there were other factors. Can you tell us more about those? Uh, I think shorter term here, it's uh, delivery. And I know I've been hang- hammering on this, and it'll be something I'll talk about for the next six days. Um, you know, if you're sitting on basis contracts for March delivery, you have to price a roll by the end of the month. A lot of guys with storage bushels they're going to look to roll as well so i think any chopper rally probably comes a week after next uh, you know weather still the same dry down there and um and the uh main exchange down in brazil or i'm sorry argentina rosario grain exchange came out with a uh, a number that was pretty low 36 million metric ton crop for corn and looking at beans around 46 and then and there are some talk now that we're going to be in the low 40s for beans and the low 30s for corn reminds me a lot of this summer where you saw you know the yield estimates come down i i do wonder what we're trading here and and uh you know if if we'll actually see uh governments come out and admit to, to crop failure. it's been a while we haven't had a lot of negative crop stories you got to go back i think three crop cycles to Argentina before you find one that was a real failure. And uh, at this point, this would be classified in the same light. Uh, it could be the lowest lowest year as far as precipitation they've had in over, uh, I think, 50, 60 years. So shorter term, I think uh, it's about you know who needs corn and who needs money now. I think that'll keep the price somewhat somewhat static. But as we get into the following weeks, into March, you know, it's, it's the potential for a run-up is there. All right. What about the run-up in wheat today? What caused that? Well, that's a good question. I, I think the cool temperatures, uh, you know, w- would be maybe to blame. I, I have a hard time believing that would be a problem at this point. Any any introduction of precipitation is going to be welcome. Uh, you know, I know folks I work with down in Texas uh, did get quite a bit, and, and they think that that maybe has saved their crop. We'll know in a couple of weeks what things look like. The, the wheat bowl needs to be fed, and we're not going to really get any news to help that out until the, uh, you know, the first week in, in March we'll get conditions. Thanks, John. John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing Chicago. Be sure to go to danielsagmarketing.com. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Ag information here in the closing hour brought to you by Central Valley Irrigation. See the sales team in Holdridge, Lexington, and Kearney. Central Valley Irrigation.